Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Lavinia. Welcome to There She Goes, where women writers share true stories of travel. Their stories, their experiences, told in their own voices. One of the reasons we started this podcast is that the first time Kelly and I met, we told each other travel stories. We were complete strangers, but after spending just a few hours trading stories about experiences in Morocco and South Korea, Italy and Greece, we were friends. Our travel stories connected us. We recognized them as important. And we came away from that first meeting feeling validated and inspired. This is the power of women's personal travel narratives. Consider our storytelling podcast a brand new passport, transporting you every week to a different place for a brief escape, sometimes far away, other times closer to home. Consider our storytellers your brand new travel friends, your sidekicks and sisters and guides. Or even therapists. And consider this your chance to hear some of the stories you may have missed. There She Goes is that simple. No chit-chat, no interviews. Just great storytelling by women travelers. We invite you to settle in for the adventure. Today we travel with Faith Adieli to Thailand, where, on a pilgrimage in search of famous nuns, she finds her plans abruptly changed by a group of drunken businessmen, one small sleepy boy, and the threat of bandits. Faith is the author of the memoir Meeting Faith, an account of becoming Thailand's first black Buddhist nun that won the Penn Open Book Award. Her media writing credits include the HBO Max limited series A World of Calm and the PBS documentary My Journey Home. Her essays appear in numerous anthologies, including four volumes of the best women's travel writing. Faith founded the nation's first writing workshop for travelers of color through Vona Voices, and she teaches and lectures around the world on decolonial and inclusive travel writing. I'm Faith Adiele, reading my story, Passing Through Bandit Territory. In the railway dining car, three men in the snowy shirt sleeves and dress slacks of Thai businessmen immediately blow my intention to pass from a lay. First, they send the waiter to my table to see if I speak English. Then they insist on buying me dinner. They look to be in their mid-twenties, which means 30-something, and are on a slow, steady path to drunkenness. Their questions phrased in excellent English are the usual. Where do you come from? How do you like Thailand? Can you eat Thai food? Where is your protective male? I reply in English with a little Thai dropped in, pretending to speak far less than I do. Plan B, if unable to pass as Malay, make sure your opponent underestimates you. They crow with delight, and when I cover my rice with tiny heaps of chilies, there's much giggling and nudging. I begin to doubt the likelihood of them being hustlers. Still, I shake my head when they ask if I drink Singha beer. They order another round and tick off a list of beautiful islands, all soon to be immortalized in big-budget movies, blonde starlets spilling onto the beaches like oil slicks, followed by a tide of tie-dyed college kids in tivas. I explain that I'm not on vacation. I'm on a pilgrimage in search of famous nuns. The youngest, best-dressed businessman studies my list of temples, his eyes tiny slits of slate in a lobster-red face. 
I feel drunk just looking at him. Wait a minute, he says, jabbing a manicured finger at the very next stop on my list. You can't go there. Petbury is owned by bandits. The train jolts around a corner, throwing my heart against my rib cage. I'm scheduled to disembark in Petbury tonight. I shrug, feigning indifference. Maybelay, I say, invoking Thailand's mantra. Never mind. It's okay. No problem. No, no, he insists, eyes sharpening with increasing, alarming sobriety. The train gets in at three in the morning. They know who arrives, where they stay. He blurts a flurry of Southern dialect to his friends. I assume a blank expression, heart still racing. What should she do? One asks. My dear, it's not good at all. She shouldn't go alone, the first explains. They kidnap visitors and plantation workers to extort money. Why doesn't she get off at your stop, the third suggests. Yes, my would-be savior agrees, turning his palms face upward, a gesture I choose to interpret as sincere. My town is larger and more secure. I can make sure she gets to a guest house. In the morning, I can come with my Mercedes to drive her to Samnakmeishi, the nun center. Dilao, they agree. Good enough. This is indeed a good plan. I decide to accept. I know that to ask a Thai for help, even directions, is to embark on an extended relationship in which his responsibility will not end until I have either reached my destination or he has died trying. The first businessman proposes his solution, speaking careful English. You should not get off at Petbury, which is the next stop. You should get off at Ratbury, the following stop, where I live. He explains why. I look skeptical for a few minutes before making a show of allowing myself to be convinced. The bill then arrives, sparking an unsteady race to unzip Italian wallets, many shouted claims and counterclaims of being the eldest, much tossing of red and tan bills onto the table, much swatting away of younger man's bills, entreaties to the Buddha ensue. I thank them, placing my hands together and bringing them to my forehead. This delights them, though their drunken attempts to return the gesture are more Three Stooge-like than Thai. I head back to second class while they exit up the front to first class, fresh bottles clinking in their hands. See you in a few hours, the first businessman promises, on the platform. Back at my seat, I find that a tiny mother with three children has joined me. Keeping my head respectfully below hers, I duck into my seat. Once seated diagonally across, I nod and smile. The broad planes of her face twitch, processing the information that she has inadvertently installed her family next to something strange. Seconds later, they smooth into determined pleasantness. The two younger children freeze in mid-gesture, saucer-eyed and speechless. The eldest, a boy of about 10, has ended up next to me. Spine rigid as a dancer's, he perches at the absolute edge of his seat, one more inch forward and he would be levitating in air. He makes a fluttering gesture with his hand, an unspoken plea. His mother snaps a single syllable in Southern dialect, its meaning unmistakable, stay. Keeping his head perfectly still, the boy monitors me out of the corner of his eyes, pupils rotating in their sockets as if he were performing khon, a mass dance based on the Ramayana. He is Hanuman, the monkey general, terrifying the demon army with his jerky movements and wildly spinning eyeballs. (laughs) Grinning, I fall into the half-waking rhythm of train travel. My limbs loosen and jolt. 
Outside an epic battle rages, blue-faced demons pitted against Lord Rama and the monkey soldiers. Little Hanuman poker straight at my side. When the conductor slams through the car, calling Petri, I consider jumping up and dashing for the exit. Why change my plan? What if the businessman already forgot our agreement? What if he was just talking and there are no armed robbers? I press my nose to the cold glass. What does a bandit-owned town look like? I imagine clusters of men with machine guns, a banner strung across the platform, six-inch letters spelling out, Welcome to Bandit Territory. I decide to disembark, stick to the plan, rely on myself. I reach for the knapsack between my legs. And just then Hanuman nods off, his head dropping face first into the crook of my elbow. He is warm as a furnace, his soft cheeks like sun-ripened peaches against my skin. Startled, I jerk upright. The stubble of his shaven head scrapes along the flesh of my inner arm. He squirms into fetal position, his small, round head falling into my lap, like a gift. Across the aisle, his family dozes, piled atop one another, the younger children's mouths half open like tiny buds. I rest my hand lightly on the shoulder of the sleeping boy. The train hurtles through bandit territory. An hour later, we reach Bratbury. Reluctantly, I lift the boy from my lap. His eyes flutter for a split second, momentarily wild, then close, the lids settling into smiling gold crescents. I drape him over both seats, then grab my knapsack and sprint to the end of the car. The conductor watches as I disembark and scour the length of the train in both directions. Kun he asks. Someone else? I nod. A minute later, he jerks his chin at me. Malay? I nod. What the hell? We wait some more. The station is locked tight. No banner, good, except for a Samlaw driver asleep at the back of his trishaw, the platform is empty. Finally, the conductor shrugs. Sure this is the right stop? Did I get them mixed up? I ask, did a man get off at the last stop? He shakes his head, the gold braid on his cap glinting in the light from the doorway. No one gets off these stops at night. That is why he has kept the train waiting. I stare open-mouthed, just now beginning to comprehend the size of his concern, the size of my stupidity. I know nothing about this town, except that it's an hour closer to Bangkok, supposedly larger and safer. For all I know, this is the heart of bandit territory, and the businessman gets a commission on all foreign women he lures here. The train begins to snort and strain like an animal in restraint, and the conductor hops onto the metal step. ma he offers. Get back on. I shake my head. In the temple, they taught us to confront the very things that terrify us. With a great squeal, the train pulls away. Good luck, the conductor calls. I hoist my knapsack and turn to find the Samlaw driver sitting up, regarding me. Samlaw, he inquires. I nod briskly and scramble into the back. Take me to the Chinese hotel, I bark. Leclerc, I'm late. As he begins to pilot the Samlaw through the abandoned streets in that slow standing pedal that resembles slow motion running, I pray that the stereotype about trishaw drivers being drug pushers, pimps, and bandit informants is greatly exaggerated. I also pray there is a Chinese hotel.
You've been listening to There She Goes, a storytelling podcast created by two women travelers and recorded from their homes in Alabama and Louisiana. Our theme music is a selection from the song City of Refuge, created and performed by Abigail Washburn. Thanks to Jay Burgess for engineering. Thanks to our amazing writers for proving how essential women's stories are and for bringing their voices to There She Goes. And thanks to you, our listeners, for coming along. We hope you'll be back next week for another story and another stamp in your new passport.